life is about a, a lot of resets. You know, you you either get fulfilled or you learn as much as you can at that stage, or you're in a place where you're not completely engaged. Like resets are key, I think, in, in your journey and in your work and life. That's Tim Hamilton, and this is the On Design Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to the new episode of the On Design Podcast. I'm your host, Justina Green. I'm an illustrator and I've also spent the past 10 years in the design industry in a variety of roles. On this podcast, as you might already know, every week we speak to the most exciting people in design right now. We learn what inspires them, how they work and how they see the world. In today's episode, I speak to Tim Hamilton, who's the head of global creative at The North Face. In a conversation, Tim sheds light at his early success and really hard graft in New York that earned him many accolades over the years. He also candidly talks about a moment in life when, at the height of success, he decided to press pause and reconnect to his true north, reconnecting with nature and moving to Vancouver. What eventually followed from that move is Tim's current role at the North Face, where in less than four years, he's achieved incredible things when it comes to unearthing the company's rich design archive, championing innovation and sustainability, and working very closely with the North Face athletes to create the best performance wear out there. Enjoy our conversation. super excited to have you on the podcast so thank you for um finding time and i'm really pleased that we can actually do it um remotely that we can connect remotely as well thank you for having me i'm excited what is the most exciting place for us to start because i thought we could see what got you into fashion in the first place and go back in time for a bit yeah it's a it's a long story but i'll try to keep it short I think it goes back to, you know, the early days when you're coming of age of, you know, how you present yourself. Um, you know, I grew up in kind of lower middle class, but had access to relatives who lived in upper class. So I was always impressed by how people perceived how you were sort of engaged or how you were defined by what you wore. And me, you know, growing up you know, at that time, music was a big influence as well. And I remember I, I was on this trip through um, our mosque community. I, I, my mother was Lebanese. My dad was uh, English background, but American. So he's this blue collar kind of construction worker. And she's this kind of exotic Lebanese looking dancer, instructor, and always looked at the arts and sort of drove um, image and vision. And I think within those kind of two different parallels i was drawn to this idea of music vision and how you dressed and i think you know when our trip to london i saw it's probably post like new romantic era but i just saw people expressing themselves and how they dressed and i was just like wow this is like taking it to the next level and i i wanted to engage in something visual and i, I didn't put my thumbprint that it was going to be fashion school or design or theater or acting or photography, but something that was going to drive me to get to New York and drive something different um, and get out of my Iowa roots and kind of conservative uh, surrounding. And so when was the first time, kind of when did you move to New York? I moved to New York in the mid nineties. So around 93, 94. And was that for kind of for, for school, for education? 
was that fashion at the time? And what were your kind of first days and months kind of in New York? Was it how you expected it to be? I, I, well, it's funny. It's always kind of like, you know, since I didn't have traditional um, background of finances, of financial support of family, I basically went there on the whim to, you know, find my find my calling. And I think it was interesting that I, I my first job, I opened up the paper and Ralph Lauren was opening up a new store and they were launching Polo Sport and Double RL. These brands are still sort of around under the Ralph umbrella, but I opened up the paper and I went and applied and they hired me on the spot and they started styling me on the look of how I'm going to work in the store. And then we spent like two or three months in corporate training to work at the Ralph Lauren store. So we, we were very engaged on, you know, the knowledge of, you know, the Ralph Polo Sport product of the craft of, you know, how it was made, how it was built, just education. And that in itself was like, all right, I'm in this lane of the Ralph Lauren world. I'm learning a lot, not just being, you know, the sales guy. I'm also learning about how the product's built, how to merchandise it. Ralph and the family and the designers and corporate people would be in the store daily, you know. So it was just this kind of like fast track into the world of Ralph. And then from that, they opened up an internship program um, within about a year. I started out in Double RL and Polo Sport and then went over to women's to sort of gain more knowledge. And um, they picked, they selected two of us and I was one of the two. And then I was hired as an intern um, at the Polo Sport division of Ralph Lauren, which was great and just excelled and became a designer. And um, yeah, that, that was the start of it. And would you say that was... It's just as we kind of you described it, it sounds like a like quite straightforward and quite a rapid journey. Is that how it felt at the time? Did it feel as you started to work in fashion, did it feel natural and like you yeah, thought you I mean, were on the right path? Yeah, I don't know what it was about me just as far as I've always been drawn to curation and style and how things are put together and being very particular. Um, but I would say, yes, it was a rapid level of, you know, happenings from, you know, from me getting at, starting at the store and then getting an internship and then being hired. It was went very fast, but I wouldn't say it was smooth sailing. I would say, you know, you gotta, you gotta work. I mean, you gotta work your butt off and you have to, you know, go above and beyond the competition's always thick in any sort of new sort of area you're trying to strive for. And I think for me, I, I really wanted to um, just get out of um, being, as, the, as everyone says, basic. I just wanted to find something that was going to drive me to excel to the next level. And I wanted to prove something. And I think that that work ethic and that drive probably got me there fast. And then I also, you know, felt I needed to, you know, learn the design process so that they, they participated and helped me, you know, take classes at Parsons and get really trained and, you know, have my my skills set up for, um, you know, a longer term and working in design. So, yeah, it was it was rapid, but it wasn't I wouldn't say it was smooth sailing. What were the most challenging moments of um, those first few years? I would say, I guess, you know, being a young designer, being a young artist of any sort of type of work, I think you're trying to find your voice and, you know, you're in a sea of um, 
corporate competition and how do you how do you stand out? So I think for me, my biggest challenges were probably just making sure I, I learned the skill set and I was dedicated. I think I also had aspirations to do other things, whether it was acting or, you know, photography or, you know, writing. And I, I, I think the biggest challenges was me to commit, you know, am I going to commit to this field of work? Because at that age, in your early 20s, you're kind of like, you know, you want to try everything to make sure you find that right fit. But um, mm. commitment would have been probably the biggest challenge. But then, you know, they basically cornered me and said, look, we want to hire you full time. What's your commitment level? Because you're resourceful, you get the style, you have the taste level, you have, you know what Ralph wants, you know, and it was those kind of things that were like, hey, I have an opportunity here. I'm traveling around the world. I'm going to the Olympics. I'm going to the X Games. I'm going to flea markets in Paris and London, things that, you know, I never dreamed of, um, you know, thinking this job could be that so high concept and I could travel the world and bring um, vision. So that's kind of the place I got to. And, and that commitment level was just like, yeah, this is, this is it. You know, I want to, I want to give this a chance. And how did it go from there? Did you, did you learn those? Did you enjoy it? And at what point did you start thinking that you have more than working for someone at that point? And that there's there's a voice that's independent and that's yours. Yeah, no, I think um, you know, living in New York and the Ralph the University of Ralph Experience, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think it taught me a lot and it made me raise the bar and kind of approach things in a very curated, detailed way. Um, so coming from the Ralph experience and going over to Gap and following a few ex-Ralph people, um, and a big merchant uh kind of a famous guy, Mickey Drexler was at Gap at the time. And I, you know, I guess jumping to another corporate job, like I always wanted to see where I could excel and learn more, but you know, yes, your title increases and you get more money, but I wanted to get behind the scenes, like how, you know, how it works with factories, how you can really drive vision, working closer to the product engine, um, so I got the front end part, I guess, at Ralph of like the curation, the elevated taste level or, you know, quality. And then from there, I, I wanted to get more behind the scenes. And that was a great opportunity to go to Gap. And then um, from Gap, um, I went, followed Mickey Drexler to J. Crew um, to a similar degree type, a similar product. But then he asked me to launch a, an American denim line called Madewell, just, you know, concept it, build it out. What could it be? Uh, and that was kind of another great experience for me to go out on my own. And it was very like, you know, an independent brand with under a corporate umbrella because basically it, in the beginning it was just me. And then I had an intern and I had three or four people working with me and then it grew from that, but it was very hands-on and it was great to kind of have your hands in lots of different pies and not really have the full on budget support of a corporate investment yet, you have to prove it. And it, it gave me that sort of starting point of, hey, I'm gonna do this on my own eventually. And that helped tremendously. So from there is when um, I started to do my own thing. Uh, and I That's brilliant, right? Because that gave you the taste of, you still have the security of a brand, yeah. but the taste and the feeling was very much 
of you making everything happen from from start to finish. Exactly. Yeah, it was it was a, a huge learning experience, and I think that you know that's another important sort of milestone for me. Of okay, I, I knew that was going to be completely hard, and it was going to be a lot of things were going to be foreign to me, but you have to have that will to create something. And the fact that I was doing everything with the team, like not just product, we were thinking about, you know, the visual merchandising, how the store would look, how the packaging would look, how we would go to market, like everything was thought out in this small group. And it, it was fun. It was a, it was a fun time. It was a fun spirit. And I, you know, I was going through a lot of different things in my life. Like I've always asked myself, when am I going to do my own thing? And then finally, you know, I, I got, you know, I just got to a point like, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So that's when I started my own line um, right after Madewell. And um, that, again, another rapid kind of to your point earlier, like it just took off so fast. Not easy, but it just went so fast. And I don't think I had any expectations of, you know, the immediate success I would get. I didn't think it would be so like, um, you know, engaged and acquired by you know the or uh, bought by you know some of the best stores in the world and you know winning awards and traveling you know and showcasing from new york to paris to japan like i had no idea it was going to take off like that and i think um that in itself was something to reflect on and kind of be like wow i did that you know so how does that because that does the thing right sometimes when the immediate success when you don't expect it can be very, very, very tough and very hard to manage because your life just kind of turns upside down. Yeah. Um, how, how does it feel then? And what do you think made it pick up so fast? I think I just had this drive of, you know, um, a work ethic and a drive. And I had a vision of what I wanted to say and I didn't, take those things for granted. But I do think, you know, people want to hear your story or they want to be told a story or they want to be, you know, they want to see a, a curation. And if it fits into their world or they see it fit in, I think that's, that's kind of amazing that it, hap it happens that way. And I think for me, I don't know. I, I, I think you're totally spot on. Like it was not easy. It was, a lot of success fast. I didn't, I didn't think going to it like, I'm going to have a business partner. I'm going to have a, a business side of the, the brand. I just went in, like, I basically took my, my duffel bag, rode my bike up, didn't want to meet with them yet, but met with the Bergdorf team and Bergdorf Goodman team, which is a store in New York. And they asked to see what I was working on. And I basically, unveiled this bag of prototypes of, you know, their cut and my sketchbook, my portfolio. And, you know, I was sweating to death thinking, oh, this is going to be ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Why am I even here? Um, and, you know, I'm just this kid from Iowa at the end of the day. <laughs> what am I doing at this high fashion boutique in um, New York? But I always walk by there. I'm like, one day. Um, so I'm there and I'm sweating and they, they go in the corner and they're in their beautiful tailored suits and all dressed up and kind of come back to me like, this is exactly what we want. We want to give you a shop and shop. Wow. <laughs> Launch Tom Brown. And I'm like, my mouth is like dropped and I'm in shock. And um, that was kind of like the kickoff because they, they gave me a shop and shop. They put me in the catalog. They put me in the windows. 
I had Tim Hamilton in the windows on Fifth Avenue, New York. Like that's insane. And I had this big party and then I got CFDA nominations and GQ awards and uh, nominations. And it just, it just took off in this like tier. Uh, we keep going rapid is the key to this, this session, but it went so fast and I just, I rolled with it, but I also, you know, knew there was a lot of um, missing components to keep it, you know, the momentum going on the back end, which I didn't have quite the support yet, but I, um, I found that to be, you know, pretty exciting. And, um, and then I launched women's in, in Paris and then I um, continued to work with collaborations and other artists. It, it was a very, it was a very fun time. I, I don't think about, I don't have time to think about it too much, but when I reflect, this is a great time to kind of be like, wow, I really did that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> and for listeners who haven't seen um, your own lines, what, what would you say were their characteristics at the time and what were they inspired by? Yeah, I think in the, originally it was this kind of, it kind of goes back to your roots when you when you use your namesake and you use your persona you have to kind of go into foundation of how are you programmed and what you know what drives your vision and i i guess an immediate was i kind of looked at my the dichotomy of my dad's style my mother's style my dad was this you know like i said earlier this blue collar construction worker but he was very detailed on he always had his jeans pressed he always had the right plaid flannels, but he always, you know, if he had to go out, you know, for a lunch or a dinner, he, he wore a nice jacket or a sweater or a vest. So the men's side was kind of built on this high quality kind of, um, sportswear Americana, but modernized. And then the women's was, uh, inspired by my mother who was very much more, um, avant-garde if you will, but just very directional in her style and, um, you know, black was her most um, go-to color. And I think, um, you know, I had this kind of interesting way of presenting men's and women's, but at the end of the day, I, if you had to sum it up, it's sportswear done in, you know, incredible, you know, the best factories and materials, um, but had an active, um, you know, uh, I guess active sportswear, accessible style, but uh, elevated material approach. That sounds absolutely gorgeous. And I know that especially, I'm just thinking about everybody now, where kind of sportswear is all we wear and it's all we want to wear as well. To have the tailoring with that, that's kind of pandemic dream to me. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> maybe it was ahead of its time. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me, with the success, um, can you... I want to slowly get to kind of that moment in your life that the kind of the move to Vancouver. Yeah. What was preceding that? Because I'm, I'm wondering kind of with the popularity and kind of rocketing really fast, you must have had so many options, offers, ideas, possibilities. Um, yeah. How no, did, what was happening there? I think, a few things. I was, you know, doing the New York grind. I was traveling excessively. I was putting together these elaborate shows or presentations. And I was getting to a point of, you know, what 
and not to get too deep and philosophical, but what, what is the meaning of all this? You know, why, why am I doing multiple seasons and putting together shows that, you know, seem momentary at the time or seem a little bit, not throwaway, but just, you know, trend, if you will. And I, I got to a point of, you know, from my work and then to my surroundings, I wasn't getting to the country enough or outside. And I've always aspired to be more in this kind of majestic outdoor scape. You know, we would get out to the, we would get out to upstate a lot, but it, you know, it was only a weekend here and there. And I always wanted to subscribe to this kind of out, outside magazine life. And it, it kind of goes back to my introduction into design when I started at Ralph Lauren, I was on Polo Sport and RLX brands that were more active based. And I got to travel and see these activities come to life and build utility functional products. So I missed, I missed this ability to, or this connection to product that stands the test of time, stands for function, stands for utility. So yeah, I, we made the big jump to um, move to Vancouver of all places, uh, BC. And I, I was, I never had been to Vancouver. I always dreamt of it. Like, what is it? I hear incredible things about British Columbia. When we got there, we just fell in love. And, you know, the, the nature, the scenery, you know, the proximity to the mountains. I just, um, I was like, uh, we have to, we have to be here. This is like paradise. So for me, it was, a, it was a calling of, you know, reset on work and values and, you know, personal life of, you know, how do you want to, you know, balance that out and get away from the, the grind and the momentary, um, you know, just momentary success rather than more long-term spread out. Yeah, do you, th do you think it was quite a natural kind of end of a particular chapter? Yeah. For sure. I mean, and, you know, I think I, I was kind of thinking, oh, is it because I'm getting older or I'm just done with this? Or I don't get me wrong. I still love New York. I love to go to New York. I love to visit New York. I love right when I get there, I get into the city and I have 30 million ideas running in my head. Like it's that invigorating. I, I, I love that part, but I think it was a time of balance and just, um, you know, the, this day and age, you don't need to live in the city to do what you do. And I think, especially now, and mm. you can have nature in your backyard and if you can, you know, participate, I mean, I'm sort of this, um, closeted athlete in, in, in itself and not as much anymore with workload and zoom, but I, in Vancouver, I, you know, I found a few friends and some trainers and we were just in the mountains every day, you know, doing activities throughout the year and, probably in my best shape ever and it was just this like incredible reward of appreciating nature and the activity and um it just it got me to a, a headspace of like a different creative output of you know whether it's sustainability or utility but it, it just changed my outlook because i still love to build product i still love to build product then and craft and put things together, but how do you do it with different lenses that are more, um, you know, concrete and go back to a get back um, sort of way? Yeah, that's the thing. And I think that's really important. And um, I'm thinking about the listeners as well, because sometimes 
like many of us have experienced a place of whether it's burnout or things just come to a head and what worked for us doesn't work for us anymore. And I think that can be often a scary place because you think that there's nothing else left that, you know, like you said, for example, you know, is that you were getting older? Is it just, is it just gone? Well, all you need to do is reset to, to get back to the source of creativity and to yeah. find that there's plenty of it. It just needs to go into a different direction. I, I think you're right. I think life is about a, a lot of resets. You know, you, you either get fulfilled or you learn as much as you can at that stage, or you're in a place where you're not completely engaged. Like resets are key, I think, in, in your journey and in your work and life. I, I, I agree. I, I like that. I like the idea of a reset as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I yeah, I'm just thinking I had mine about three years ago and I thought my life ended and now I'm completely fine. So yeah, how did, well, where, how did you get to that point though? Where, I mean, I know this is about me. I was, <laughs> <laughs> it is not about you. It was, um, I was doing something quite well. Um, and it's when you do something quite well and things go well, you don't realize that it doesn't fulfill your heart anymore. Yeah. So it was, I think that's when it sneaks up on you because when things don't go well, you realize, okay, I need to change. But when they go well, um, you just don't realize sometimes that it's not for you anymore. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's kind of being, and that's again, it's nature, right? It's because yeah. in nature, you can hear yourself so much better. <laughs> no, I, I and think you can hear what yeah, you need. Yeah, no, nature is, it, it's insane what, it can do to kind of reset your mind and mm. give you balance back. Um, and I know that sounds like cliche, but it, it, I have to say Vancouver and that experience was just like this reawakening of, you know, how I'm programmed and what I love and what I aspire to be. And um, I don't, yeah, I, I look at those moments of like, Hey, remember this, like when I have tough days or tough times, I, I have to think back like, you know, look what you've done in your whole journey. You know, you've taken bigger risks and gone through harder times. You know, it's that, it's that kind of mindset that you have to connect to, but nature is that it's almost that it, it listens and you can, you can be out there in the middle of a mountain or a forest and, you know, you can collect your thoughts and you can smell, and you can breathe. And it's pretty remarkable. Um, I, I can't imagine not being able to, you know, go on a hike and have those decompressing moments to kind of rethink and reset. Yeah. And unfortunately in this kind of in the recent year, there's like for so many of us, it's been completely taken away. Um, and I yeah. think that's why we, I just really hope we can get out there sooner, um, sooner than later and reconnect so that we can all kind of, shift to the right gear for us. Um, and talking of shifting to the right gear, um, yeah. when does the North Face story start? <laughs> the North Face story, yeah. So funny enough, you know, living in Vancouver, uh, I was working and consulting for brands like REI and some other global brands, but working on product that might itself to be more outdoor and utility and performance function. And, you know, kind of living and breathing that, that world, um, uh, I guess we first found out I was doing, 
yeah, some people found out that I was working on, you know, outdoor product and living in the outdoors and left New York um, and, you know, the reset. And they were connected to North Face and North Face uh, asked me to come down and um, meet with the president at the time, Arne Arnez. And I, uh, I came down with the intention of just being there a day or two and they had me stay four days to meet everyone. And I didn't have a voice afterwards because I was talking so much, but it was a, it was an instant kind of connection with the president because we're both around the same age and we referenced North Face. And I, you know, I was that kid in New York wearing North Face, you know, going to Paragon Sports or going, you know, to Tenton Trails and just finding those garments and kind of living, um, living the brand through the city lens, but also going on journeys, whether it was the Cape or upstate and camping. So it kind of came full circle in the way, because as, as I was doing that utility design for Ralph Lauren, I was drawn to the North Face and it was a big inspiration for a lot of polo sport type product. Um, but we were just talking about how much we admire the North Face as a brand and there's all this low hanging fruit and it's just, you know, it's has stood the test of time. It's one of the greatest brands. You know, if you put it up there, it is up there with, you know, the Nikes, the Addies, like the big giants. Um, but it's, uh, it, we just connected and I talked to a lot of different people and I just have so much love for this brand. And I think that came through and, um, you know, at the time I wasn't really like ready to move out of paradise Vancouver. <laughs> That was my next question. Yeah. I was not ready and I kind of resisted the thought, but you know, they, they, um, they said they were in reset mode. They wanted to um, drive a design DNA, bring out that low hanging fruit, you know, perspective. And I was excited about that opportunity. And I think, um, you know, I couldn't say no. So um, I ended up moving yeah, to San Francisco and, He started started the North Face. Wow. <laughs> so, go on. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I ask me what you think. I mean, but I can go into the journey of how I started or, you know. We can... Yeah, I have so many questions. That's why I was like, okay, so open this box, you know. Okay. Let's, let's get in. And okay. I think. I'm wondering you like when you joined, what were your kind of the first things you wanted to do, first challenges, first things that you thought, okay, we need to address this quickly because say this is the low-hanging fruit. This I can see it already happening. Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. Uh when I first started, I wanted to meet the whole design team. Um I, at the time I was overseeing everything. And I wanted to get people to talk to each other. So I think my first session was just to get everyone in the room and introduce themselves. And, you know, um, I got to learn and, you know, meet the whole team. But then, you know, the, the number one question I asked, like, let's get into this archive. You know, I can't wait for to get into the archive. And they were like, what archive? I'm like, what archive? No archive. So <laughs> they did not have an archive. They had things placed in different storage units and whatnot. But then, you know, for me, I was like, oh, my God. Okay, well, we have to build this archive. Here's a brand that's over 50 years old. And it has so many important, you know, stages in, in the path of what built the North Face and why people love it and why it's resilient. So we built an archive starting from, you know, anything we could get from the 60s, 70s, 
eighties, nineties. And, you know, we, we built this closet within our workroom space and it became the big talking point. So I think for me, it's, you know, you have to figure out and have a foundation of, you know, what a brand is built on, you know? And so an archive is a must knowing your DNA is a must. Um, so we went through like making sure we had our, all of our iconic color, our design lines, and basically driving a creative vision of what the foundational design tools and guardrails are for the North face. And that wasn't, I guess that wasn't implemented at any stage. It just was moments, but I, I definitely wanted to lay down that sort of foundation with the team and inspire people of this incredible brand and the journey and all the, the stories and, you know, the expeditions and athletes, like it was all there. We just had to put it in a place so people could actually reference it and see it. Yeah. And how did that make the team feel? Did you feel so did you notice more vigor? Yeah. So excited. Everyone, like not just my team, I think the whole company was just like, um, you know, we, we were in a campus in Alameda outside of San Francisco and we, we used our creative space and our archive and built a timeline and we would do these, you know, great kickoff sessions. So I think it just brought aspiration to the whole company of like, this is the brand, this is the goal, this is why we're the North Face. And I think it just excelled everyone's, um, you know, connection to the brand and different ages come and go through the brand. And I think as far as connectivity, you know, I think people have a relationship with the North Face face if you're in your 20s or if you're in your 50s or if you're in your 40s or like I think it just is cross-generational so it's exciting to see everyone excited from all age groups across campus but then I honestly feel like the the outside world has that viewpoint you know I think globally like people love the north face and they have a connection to it and it was just bringing that internally um just you know hopefully show one day and it does externally so that's that was the kind of driving point. And how do you then move from the heritage and the, the DNA of the brand to the incredibly important component, which is innovation? Oh, how I mean, did the two come together? Well, I mean, if you think back, you know, to, to look back, to look forward to a degree, but everything that North Face has built was futuristic in its own right. And of the times, whether it's analog to where we're going to the future, it's important to think about problem solving for the athlete and expedition and life-saving type products. And I, I think that for us, we, we, we really wanted to um, be able to do both, you know, to make sure we, we know where we came from, we know what we pioneered and we continue to pioneer. So futurism is just part of our DNA and um, innovation is just how we're programmed from an outdoor, um, performance brand it's just it's built in our it's built in our dna and we have to look to the future and then my next question is and i don't know kind of what flows more naturally like should we talk about the the kind of about future light and circular fashion and no face renewed or shall we also talk about your maybe let's talk about that and then we'll talk about your audiences because i'm wondering as well with new collections and collaborations how do you design for the hardcore um, outdoor gear um, audiences yeah, and yeah. at the same time for fashion audiences who love the North Face for what it's right now, say for Gen Z who gets to know North Face now and they say live in cities. 
Yeah, I mean, well, so the question is, you wanted to talk about uh, future light first, or I'm sorry, I, I, there's a yeah. Few- let, let's. Do, <laughs> I know there's there's so many. Um, yeah. Let's talk. Let, let's get technical because we have heritage, we have innovation, um, them coming together, the futuristic um, kind of DNA um, uh, in the North Face brand. So let's talk about some amazing things that you guys are doing yeah for to create the best gear for the outdoors yeah so when you when you think about the north face and you think about our our global ath- team of athletes and we continue to problem solve for them we continue to be get them to the the mountain as fast as we can with protection so there's always a lot of research r&d and development with you know trying to find solutions. And I think with, with us, you know, future light was a must because it was something that we needed to build and bring to the table as far as a, a new advanced breathable waterproof material that could be brought into the format of, you know, we're going to get you a lightweight material that doesn't have noise that breathes and, you know, it's going to get you to the mountain faster. And I think for us, it was just a, it was a something that the, the R and D team, it was a big, it was a big, big work effort to get that up and running and a much needed one. And I think it it changed, you know, it changed the outdoor industry to a degree of, Hey, um, we can't depend on old technology. We have to be the leaders to push newness forward. So that's kind of how some of this problem solving comes into play. When we talk about, you know, outdoor technology and solving for the athlete within in return will scale into technology to the end consumer. That's the future state of how we work. Um, and we continue to do that. We launched, we just launched Vective footwear. Uh, we're launching, or I'm sorry, we, we continue to, you know, build more R and D type products within um, our design house and innovation center. So it's, it's just a, it's, it's, it's how we're programmed. And I think what's remarkable about it, it's, it's something with our design team that's just is so embedded in their day-to-day function. Like we're constantly on the phone with our athletes and zooming and hearing all this feedback. And it's just, it's amazing to go back to, you know, the craft of how we build. It's not frivolous. It's not momentary. It's actually serving, you know, life saving purposes, but also technology that's just, you know, moving us to the future. And so how important is that relationship with your athletes? Is that at the heart of the brand and, and what you do and the, the technical developments? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's definitely at the core of, um, you know, how we start and engage uh, the learnings. I mean, we're, we're an outdoor performance brand. It's a lot different than athlete, you know, like say Nike and Addy. We have to think about, you know, weather shifts and protection and you know wet and dry like different different sort of guardrails of what we need to uh, go after so it's it's athlete engagement is critical of just knowledge and um also the evolution of what we do and the younger athletes just it's amazing how they um you know they want the protection but they also want to you know look good on the mountain as well so it's this combination of performance and style that has come through more than ever. So that, that's, um, that's very interesting. And that's, that kind of 
leads to kind of the, that second set of questions, which is um, your collaborations and what you've been doing over the past years. On tell me more about that kind of maybe shift where the North Face it's fashion, <laughs> you know, and it's it's popular. Uh, people love it, and pe- you know, people love it not just on a hike, not just in the outdoors, not just for protection. They love it for what it is and what it stands for. Um, so can you tell me more about how you work to satisfy the needs of those um, customers and kind of what were some of the, kind of what goes into your collaborations? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the term fashion is a bit subjective. I'm not poo-pooing on it, but I don't think we set out to make product for um your obvious sort of fashion trends or whatnot. It comes from, it comes from the DNA and it comes from technology. So it, what's interesting is that how it gets adopted into, you know, other filters and other influencers or consumers. And I, I, I think it's great. I think we, we set out to be authentic. Number one, we have to be authentic in any collaboration approach we do. So, any product that you see that is partnered with another brand or collaboration, it's coming from a purist place. It's coming from whether it's a reissue from, you know, chapter one, sixties or seventies or the nineties expedition. These are things that actually were on the mountain doing expeditions at the time, you know, life-saving type products. So we don't think of them as, um, you know, momentary, uh, stylistic kind of driven things. We look at it from a lens of here's an authentic brand that drives a point of view through the outdoor filter that has the same values tied in with that partner that we're working with. And that's kind of how we look at it. So if, you know, the influencers and the, you know, city dwellers and people who adopt it know that it comes from an authentic place. And I think that's what makes it, you know, cool you know i think that's what makes it yeah so maybe that's the yeah. thing that i didn't mean it's the some of the semantics here because i see what you're getting at so yeah. it, it's the north face doing the north face and then it's how it's adapted that's yes exactly been changing yeah because i think that's a great that's a great conversation because i think people think you know if you see a north face item in a in a non-outdoor environment you automatically think oh is are they trying to go after fashion or crack no or we're being a North Face, like those are items that have already existed. Um, we're not trying to, you know, go after trends or anything like that. So I think that's that's a good thing to kind of talk or unpack. But I, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that's the thing because um, it's just you know being in the media as well and being in design, you can see that there's just media are obsessed right now with the North Face. Yeah, and I think. You know, and I'm really into the outdoors. I've had my no face for years and years. And it's, like you said, it's gear, you know. And to me, it's interesting what's happening. When you made your first purchase to North Face, like, what was what was that experience like? Why did, why were you drawn to buy that? And, like, what 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 was your impression of the brand when you bought that piece? I think the, you know, what I'd probably say what came first to mind, that it's like, it wasn't in any way pretentious. It was 
like really good gear and I always knew that it was very well made and I knew the brand I like the brand because I knew what the brand does with the athletes and because I follow whether it's rock climbers etc I have that affinity that's um, of, I love of championing that. the athletes you know but yeah. that's what I mean so that's where I came from um and kind of for me that's what it yeah that's what no face is and I want it to be that um and I get very excited about the new things that are happening. Um, yet I'm observant of where the media takes it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. I think it's that accessible, approachable, you know, experience that you had and you know the brand and what it stands for from an outdoor lens. And it's that authenticity that needs to come through. And I think that that's, you know, that's the greatness about this brand. It has that reach. You know, we, we were born on the top of the mountain. We have the permission to be in the city through, you know, different protection values and culture and whatnot, but it's that accessibility that makes this brand so incredible. And so it reaches every part of the globe. And, I, and plus the logo is probably one of the most amazing logos in history, but it's, it, it, is, that, it is that recognition that you see that logo and you, you have a connection to it and you know it's built you know from a reliable space but then also it has you know has that just looking at the logo you can already you know read the stories behind it and how how that garment was made and on that note of um yeah of the outdoors of then the urban dweller as well um i wanted to kind of talk to you about circularity in design and about no face renewed and, and what you're doing there yeah i mean if you go back in time and you look at you know how this brand was built we stood for different ways back then of how to be sustainable build the best garment so it doesn't one of our forefathers quotes is to build the best garment and not have it end up in a landfill and i think you know with all, all that we're actioning on with renewed and circularity, there's just been these remarkable um, starting points, but also seeing the rewards of how it's engaging throughout the company. So from a design lens, we have an incredible team that we, we look at things from a sustainability and circular lens at first. You know, we, we look at how we're going to build garments um, so zippers can be replaced. We look at you know, the materials we're using, we're looking at how things are sourced. And to be honest, a lot of this has been in the DNA of the North Face. In some of the past decades, maybe it hasn't been as amplified as other brands, but it's something that's true in the heart of how we look to protect the outdoors and also the environment and take a stand. And with Renewed, it gives us this new opportunity to show how you can curate and still be you know, style driven, but also collectively brand, you know, build things in garments that, you know, you wouldn't expect. And that's, that's the exciting part is just, there's so many opportunities for us to continue to evolve how we look at cir circularity and sustainability and using that creative mindset um, through the design lens is just help us excel us to get there faster. And there's so much more on the horizon that's going to continue to happen. But First and foremost, that's how we look at product um, when we start the initial design process. It's those lenses that are 
so critical to um, continue um, to evolve. And to slowly start bringing that conversation to an end, we have... Um, Wow, we've all been right. It's almost an hour. <laughs> I know, yes. And I'm so you're very generous with your time. But I'm thinking, okay, don't get too greedy. Start wrapping this up. <laughs> all right. Um, no, it's, it's brilliant. And the thing is that with the North Face, I feel like there's um, there's so much history, so many angles. And also we've not even like talked about future just you know quite yet because I think, yeah, there's just so much. Um, so kind of as we wrap up, what I wanted to ask you, is if we could have a glimpse at the future and the future of the North Face over the next few years or the future of Elders fashion, in your opinion, what it should be or where it's heading. Yeah, so I would say the future is the future is bright because we're looking at things through a, a circular, sustainable lens. We're looking at things to service utility and function. We're looking at performance outdoors with an uh, a style forward curation. I think for us, we'll continue to uh, unveil and build innovation uh, throughout, not just in outerwear, but through our all of our apparel channels. And you'll see, you'll see more of just you know better made product that has has the filters I mentioned and has um, you know a point of view in the market that will just continue and. Um, be, you know, necessity type products that will get you to the outdoors of whether it's your backyard or a trail within close proximity, or if you want to get into the mountains and, you know, live and breathe that culture, we're, we're aiming to continue to build the best premium product for that consumer and athlete. And I'm excited for, you know, how things are coming to life and you'll continue to see the evolution of, you know, how that shows up within the product line assortment. Brilliant. And a very, very final question for you, mm-hmm. a personal question. Uh-oh. What is there that you haven't designed yet that you're dying to design or redesign? Oh, that's such a good question. I, you know, I always think of my true north of like, where, where do I see myself of just, you know, I'd love to, you know, I love all design. I love all, you know, ways to look at my visual surroundings and how do I curate that? So I've been doing things with my house that has inspired me to think about, you know, doing more within um, interior, exterior, architecture, landscape, but your full, you know, your full engagement to your day to day. So when I look at design, I look at it as from a necessity, utility lens but how do you curate that in your best best way to bring out your nature surrounding and that comfort and function so i can't think of a particular piece but i would say i'd love to build you know a i don't know some sort of a a school of design you know would be a dream to build the perfect Mm. kind of uh building that encompasses nature environmental surrounding and function within you know design efforts and it doesn't have to just be apparel it could be interior uh it could be photography it could be um, architecture so just a little bit of everything but everything that's necessity to get you through your day-to-day that's pretty sweet and that's full circle to when you when we started the conversation when you told me when you were growing up you didn't know it would be fashion 
No. Because it could be acting, it could be photography, it could yes. be all of those. All those outlets Brilliant. are filled. <laughs> Thank you so much for this conversation, for being so generous um, and so open um, to talking about your journey and about the North Face and kind of letting me and the listeners get to know North Face's DNA a bit more. Um, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. I, I enjoyed the conversation very much. It, it took me down memory lane, which I haven't been down in a while. So thank you. It was so good to speak to Tim and I feel so grateful for this conversation and Tim's openness about his early environment and influences, his time in New York and that pivotal moment of readjusting focus and resetting. And I hope you found it inspiring too, as I know it's been a particularly hard year for creative industries and many of us had to press reset whether we want it or not. Um, and I really loved getting under the skin of the North Face as a brand as well and learning more about it. And thank you so much for listening. And I really hope to see you back uh, here next week. But before you go, <laughs> I wanted to let you know that this episode has been produced by, drumroll, Green Podcast Productions. Whilst working on this podcast, I have, together with my husband, James Green, who's an audio engineer, also helped other businesses in design to produce their own podcasts. And it's something we're now doing officially um, and professionally. So if you want to find out more or want help with your own podcast, you can visit greenpodcastproductions.com. And I also leave a link to the website in the show notes too. Right, that's all for now. And I'll see you here next week. Bye.